Welcome. Welcome to your fearless recap of my week's best fire starters and conversations. Hi, I'm Jason Whitlock. Uh, wow, we had a fantastic week and we had a theme kind of to the week. We talked a lot about Matt Walsh's uh, documentary, What is a Woman? I started Monday's show with a fire about, hey man, how come Jesus, the Bible, God wasn't talked about in What is a Woman? Listen to this fire. Over the course of 90 plus minutes, Matt Walsh's captivating and important documentary, What is a Woman, never mentions God. It's the equivalent of exploring the truth regarding Tom Brady's NFL career without referencing Bill Belichick. It's a glaring and telling omission that damns American clergy far more than Walsh, a courageous faith-inspired public intellectual, and his provocative documentary that explores how and why the question, what is a woman, became loaded and controversial. Walsh frames his documentary as a search for truth. Based on his finished product, his hunt for the truth never led him to a church or forced one of his interview subjects to reference God, Jesus, or the Bible. Walsh's film is worldly. It fights a spiritual war on secular terms. This is likely a choice made by Walsh and his Daily Wire collaborators. I reached out to Matt uh, yesterday via text and he wrote me back. I asked him the question, why no God? Uh, we didn't want the film to be a theological debate or to present the issue as though you have to be religious to disagree with gender ideology. Sunday, uh, Sunday after, uh, that's the approach the left would have wanted us to take. Our fundamental goal was to reveal the irrationality and absurdity of gender ideology. The left and corporate media have demonized evangelicals, particularly white ones, to the point that Christians have publicly de-emphasized their faith. It's a trap. The left intentionally makes arguments devoid of logic, facts, and reason so that conservatives foolishly believe they can win public debates without ever invoking the ultimate authority. It's a political rope-a-dope that baits the left's opponents to flail away at a soft decoy target while never landing a real blow on a crucial issue. The left love heated arguments over pronouns, pregnant men, the treatment of unarmed resisting black criminal suspects, and racist, sexist, homophobic microaggressions. The, those disputes distract Americans from assessing the damage caused by the 60-year systemic attack on the nuclear family, the foundational element of religious faith. We're debating what a woman is when we should be asking why the left keeps promoting pointless, divisive debates. Walsh's documentary ends with his wife providing the simple answer the alleged therapists, social scientists, doctors, and professors evaded throughout the film. A woman is an adult female. It was a clever ending. It's not a powerful one. Before I go on, let me state that The Daily Wire, Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Candace Owens, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Claven have no bigger supporter and fan than yours truly. They have aggressively engaged in the political culture war. 
My problem is that war is controlled, defined, and graded by the secular industries, the media, entertainment and technology, and institutions, academia and, po and politics, that are the sworn enemy of evangelicals' best soldier, Jesus Christ. That war is Vietnam. It's fought on unwinnable terms for believers. It forbids use of nuclear weapons, prayer, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. The war we can win is spiritual. If we win that war, the proper politics will fall into place because the culture will demand it. The U.S. Constitution is misunderstood and reviled today for the same reason gender has been expanded to include the whims of individual feelings and emotions. America abandoned a biblical worldview. God created the man-woman binary. It's in the Bible. It's not up for debate. The confusion over this issue is man-made and satanic. That needed to be stated clearly and concisely in what is a woman. Dr. Marcy Bowers, America's most prolific transgender surgeon, inadvertently references the satanic origin of transgenderism within the first 10 minutes of the documentary. Take a listen for yourself. We're altering the physical characteristics of the individual to, to fit better with a gender identity that, that is female. This is all constructed from the penis? Yes, that's right. The surgeries are quite refined in the sense that they really, not only do they look like female anatomy, but they also function that way, for the most part. I mean, certainly it's a bit of a Faustian bargain. You know, it's not perfect. A Faustian bargain means a deal with the devil, a trade of the soul for worldly favor. Bowers is an expert in this exchange. He personally made the trade to live his truth as a woman. 50 minutes into the doc, Walsh and a female psychiatrist, Miriam Grossman, explained that Americans, America's gender dysphoria is owed to two wicked men, Alfred Kinsey and John Money. Kinsey is a celebrated American biologist. He founded the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction at Indiana University. He wrote two infamous books, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male and Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. He's the founding father for normalizing human perversion. He was an atheist. He was bisexual. Listen to uh, Grossman as she explains what his real agenda was. He wanted to rid society of Judeo-Christian values when it came to sexuality. And he worked very hard to do that, and I would say he succeeded. John Money is a celebrated psychologist. He invented the concepts of gender identity, gender roles, and sexual orientation. He was a pioneer in advocating sexual reassignment. He fought to normalize pedophilia. He argued that boys as young as 10 could engage in consensual sex with men in their 20s and 30s. Money is a founding father of transgenderism. The gender dysphoria movement is rooted in hostility to religious faith. It's satanic. Religious faith is rooted in respect for, acceptance, and pursuit of truth. 
The absence of God signifies an absence of truth. Hostility to faith signifies a hostility toward God. Walsh told a University of Tennessee professor that he wanted to get at the truth and the response from the professor was crazy. I'm really uncomfortable with that language of like getting to the truth. Dr. Patrick Gazanka responded, it sounds deeply transphobic to me. You keep invoking the word which is condescending and rude. The truth is now condescending and rude. The war on truth is spiritual. There's zero advantage to avoiding the spiritual aspects of this whole debate. I thoroughly enjoyed Walsh's documentary. It's compelling. I desperately wanted him to frame the debate in the proper context. That context is, atheists want to eradicate the remaining biblical principles that define the United States of America. The globalists cannot impose a new world order founded on Marxism and communism, the political theory opposed to religion, and the economic system opposed to individual freedom and property ownership without getting America to submit. Corporate media calls that explanation a conspiracy. Anyone with a layman's understanding of Christianity would call it the gospel truth according to scripture. It's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. It's the oldest, most compelling historical narrative in the history of the planet. Everything that is good and just about America is derived from the biblically inspired words in our founding documents. Quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, the creator he's talking about is God, with inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America, the way the founders designed it, will not work as a secular society detached from morality. John Adams said that more than 200 years ago. The enemies of America believe Adams. American Christians, by and large, don't. Our faith is an American luxury item. Our political identity is a necessity as vital as air and water. The left promote gender fluidity, sexual promiscuity, and general immorality as tools to detach Americans from religion, truth, and righteousness. They teach gender and sexuality to kindergartners, host drag queen story hours at libraries, and celebrate Pride Month as a means to groom children and parents. Check out this video. I think we got this video from Dallas of, this is like a bring your kids to a drag queen dance off at an adult nightclub. This went on this weekend. Little kids are there. This is at a bar at a nightclub in Dallas with the police outside standing guard at the bar. That's what's going on in America during Pride Month. The grooming of little kids at Pride Month. That's a little kid tucking dollars in a male drag king, queen, whatever it is, G-string with adults looking on smiling. The parent of a transgender or gay child is more likely to second guess biblical truth than the parent of a straight one. The LGBTQ plus movement is the real replacement theory. 
Democrats are rebuilding their base back better with puberty blockers and chemical castrations. Republicans will bend to those political winds. It's the nature of politics. Only God can save us from the madness what is a woman exposes. The documentary put the wrong people in the crosshairs. Christians, most especially ministers, need to be shamed, embarrassed, and ridiculed. Our churches and leaders, the institutions and the people that reflect our collective will, bow to politics and the social media matrix far more than truth. We allow them to choose political allies rather than spiritual ones. We allow them to choose racial idolatry rather than kingdom building. We no longer believe in the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Before we answer what is a woman, we need to relearn the meaning of Christian. That fundamental understanding will directly lead to a reckoning for the ministers who, who have cut their own Faustian bargains, transitioning from called disciples to political activists. Mm, hope you enjoyed that. On Tuesday, things got really interesting. Still kind of connected a little bit to the same topic. ESPN Sarah Spain called out the Tampa, Ray, Tampa Bay Rays baseball players for not wearing the Pride logo on their uniform. Uh, she was all upset, and so I had a little fire, and it wasn't really friendly fire for Sarah Spain. Uh, historians will lament social media spread of the blocked and charged contagion. Its unprecedented negative impact on human engagement threatens democracies, freedom, and the truth. Blocked and charged is at the root of most of the alleged social contagions, existential threats, and pandemics corporate media rely on for ratings and relevance. Blocked and charged has been around since the beginning of time. Its origins date back to the first time a young child stuck index fingers in its ears, closed its eyes, and shouted at the top of his lungs to avoid acknowledging an upsetting idea, opinion, or piece of information. Social media developers normalize the behavior for adults. Twitter and other social media apps trained influencers to block dissenting views and then charge their dissenters with racism, homophobia, homophobia misogyny, and or transphobia. Yesterday, ESPN opinionist Sarah Spain uh, executed the blocked and charged concept to perfection. Troubled by a harmful or by a handful of Tampa Rays baseball players refusing to wear gay pride patches on their uniforms on religious grounds, Spain took to the around the horn airwaves to charge the players with bigotry. Take a listen for yourself. Pride is about inclusion, so you don't love them and you don't welcome them if you're not willing to wear the patch. And calling it a lifestyle reveals to me that you've done not even a modicum of research or understanding on this topic. It's what tends to happen when a privileged class isn't affected by things. This is not just about baseball. That religious exemption BS, which is used in sport and otherwise, also allows for people to be denied health care, jobs, apartments, children, prescriptions, all sorts of rights. And so we have to stop tiptoeing around it because we're trying to protect people who are trying to be bigoted from asking for them to be exempt from it when the very people that they are bigoted against are suffering the consequences. When you say trying to be bigoted. 
They're trying to use religious exemptions to affect the opportunities, services, uh, available resources for people who are LGBTQ+. And a patch on the jersey in, in this way? In the case of sport, no. In the case of sport, though, they're double-talking if they're saying you're welcome while also saying that we don't encourage or, or we disagree with it, especially when there are devout people of every single religion that also welcome and are open to people who are born gay. David did. I, I got to give Tony Reale credit. He, he made it through that word salad and asked the appropriate question like, hold on, a patch on a uniform does all of what it, you said in that word salad? My God. But, you know, I believe what Spain is actually saying is that Tampa pitchers, Jason Adam, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, and Ryan Thompson are using their religious faith to express bigotry. After charging the players with bigotry on TV, Spain took to Twitter to clarify her position, tweeting, quote, using your religion as a shield for ignorance and bigotry is antiquated, and it's a choice. It's a choice made of privilege. You're not affected by the policies and laws that discriminate. You're not endangered by the hatred that bubbles. She then, based on the replies of several of her dissenters, began the process of blocking people who disagreed with her anti-religion screeds. Blocked and charged. It even I got a funny story. It even happened to one of our producers here, uh, David Reed. He, he tweeted at Sarah Spain, you know, she put out something about how uh, the Bible's antiquated and it isn't up to date with modern loving relationships. And Dave was like, no, 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 no. Modern, modern loving relationships aren't up to speed with the Bible. And immediately, within minutes, she blocked David from her Twitter feed. My God. Uh, listen, blocked and charged is the preferred tactic of corporate media. It's the nuclear option from mute and dispute. The negative impact on American culture cannot be denied. Social media has trained us to avoid engagement with people we disagree with and to never settle an argument. Block, charge, and move on. The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh produced a provocative, thoughtful, and entertaining documentary on the transgender issue. Most of the leg legacy media are refusing to review the doc or interview Walsh. The Daily Wire published a story about the vitriolic rejection emails it has received from movie critics. Here's an example of one. Hard effing pass, I won't give that transphobic bigot a platform on my site. Never email me again. Blocked and charged. That's what everyone's doing. This is a social media contagion that has polluted our entire society for years. I don't have one, I didn't have one friend who cared that I was politically agnostic and that my worldview was biblically conservative. I've never voted, no one cared. But in recent years, I've lost numerous friends because I don't hate Trump or his supporters. I don't hate Obama or his supporters. I don't like policies and customs that contradict my biblically conservative worldview. I don't even hate Joe Biden. I don't like the policies, the high gas prices, the inflation, 
the demonization of working class Trump supporters, the condescending attitude toward black people, the persecution of January 6th protesters. Years ago, before social media trained adults to act like children, I was a frequent guest on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. My biblical worldview wasn't controversial and dangerous. I was friends and co-workers with atheists. Blocked and charged, uh, interpreted, lifelong, interrupted lifelong friendships. CNN and MSNBC view me as problematic and will never have me on their air again. I don't even vote. The politician I criticize the most and most viciously was Sarah Palin, a Republican, the right-wing AOC. I've been blocked and charged by the left. This isn't a personal whine. I've never sought the approval of the mainstream establishment. I'm whining because the blocked and charged contagion is destroying America. It's dividing us. We no longer exchange ideas. We're locked in silos constructed by the social media matrix. As long as that's the case, our destruction is inevitable. Big tech, they're responsible for killing America. Mm. Well, we just kept the sexuality conversation going. Uh, the Washington Post made some headlines uh, when they suspended a reporter for uh, retweeting a sexist joke, but <laughs> that wasn't what really caught my attention this week about the Washington Post. Jonathan Capehart, an editor, columnist for the Washington Post, wrote a crazy and racist column about, let me let you in on a little secret. Black people don't hate white people. Black people hate Crazy white people are, no, we're afraid of crazy white people. Uh, look, this guy's a joke. He has an agenda. He has an agenda that has nothing to do with black people. It has to do with that alphabet mafia. Listen to this fire. Uh, Jonathan Capehart, a black editor at the Washington Post and MSNBC contributor, wrote a column Tuesday that he and his white hus uh, husband might flee the United States over growing fear of, quote, crazy white people. He never stated where he and Nick Schmidt might relocate or which nation would be more welcoming of the love the hate, love the fruit, hate the tree Negroes. He omitted uh, their dream destination because he knows black people experience a higher standard of living, life expectancy and safety in America than any place on earth. Nowhere else on the planet could a dark-skinned man as intellectually compromised and limited as Capehart find high-profile work as a public intellectual and white liberal puppet. Capehart and his boo-thang would not abandon America at gunpoint. So what is the real point of Capehart's Tuesday column? Item, uh, titled, Why Black People Are Afraid of Crazy White People. In it, he argues that the Buffalo mass shooting illustrates that white people's fear of demographic changes as a result of illegal immigration is causing white people to turn crazy and potentially violent toward black people. He cites polling from the Southern Poverty Law Center that states that 70% of Republicans believe in the Great Replacement Conspiracy. He connects the SPLC poll 
to a Washington Post poll that states 75% of black people worry that they, that they or a loved one will be physically attacked because they're black and believe white supremacists are a major threat to black people. These polls justify Capehart writing one of the most morally bankrupt and racist opening paragraphs in the last 50 years of mainstream newspapers. Capehart wrote, quote, <clears throat> I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Black people are not afraid of white people, we're afraid of crazy white people. That sentence is the equivalent of a white columnist writing, quote, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. White people are not afraid of black people, we're afraid of That's what that sentence states. Jonathan Capehart is not a racist. He loves white fruit, Nick Schmidt. He pretends to hate the tree, America. Capehart is a soldier in the BLM LGBTQ plus alphabet mafia. His purpose and point are no different from the Black Lives Matter movement. His job is to wrap the agenda of the LGBTQ movement in black advancement packaging. He's tying the freedom and treatment of black people to homosexuals and transgenders. That's why he made this ridiculous and illogical reference to Philando Castile when arguing against the Second Amendment and self-defense. Capehart wrote, uh, think about it. Imagine I get a gun for self-protection, not that I ever would, but stay with me. A situation arises in which I use to protect myself but then the cops arrive, see a gun, fear for their lives, and well, the rest writes itself. Remember Philando Castile? We can't win. A Minneapolis police officer shot and killed Castile during a routine traffic stop. Castile legally carried a firearm. A jury acquitted the officer of manslaughter. The tragedy that befell Castile is an extremely rare occurrence. Capehart knows this, but he's an operative in the real replacement theory sweeping democratic politics. Black is the new gay and trans. Capehart ties the whole thing together toward the end of his column writing, quote, it's not just race either. The SPLC report notes a correlation between the obsession with ethnic replacement and a fixation on gender identity and look. More than 300 anti-LGBTQ bills have been filed this year alone, many of them targeting trans children and their families. This is not to mention the threat to abortion access or to the other rights, such as my marriage, that could fall like dominoes. There it is. Capehart's real passion is protecting his marriage to Nick Schmidt. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Capehart would not piss on a heterosexual black man set ablaze at the White House. He loves fruit and he hates the way God made him. For stating this obvious truth, I'll be accused of homophobia and transphobia. It's not true. I despise dishonesty and lies. I'm tired of black elites disconnected from the reality of working class people standing on the caskets of George Floyd, 
Ahmaud Arbery, Philando Castile, Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, and Michael Brown to advance the plight of the Alphabet Mafia. Capehart is using black people to promote an agenda that directly contradicts the gospel spelled out in the Bible. I'm afraid of Jonathan Capehart. I don't know if Thursday could have gone any better. The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh in studio to talk about what is a woman. It's a two-part interview. On Thursday, I gave you a little taste of Matt's personal life, personal journey, uh, so that we could understand or have more context to a deeper, fuller conversation on Friday. Listen to our Thursday conversation, a little preview of, of Matt Walsh and what drives him. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for, thanks for all the support of the film, too. I really appreciate it. Uh, Matt, I, when I hop on board with someone or something, I hop all the way on board. And just me watching your Twitter feed, uh, that's where I was really first introduced to like, wow, this dude is fearless. And, and then you've just backed it up with this documentary uh, today or last week and, and moving forward. And you tweeted out uh, this week that you've had some credible death threats as a result of this documentary. Can you tell us about that and just how has your life changed almost instantly because of this documentary? Yeah, it's been, uh, we, we, we knew that this is the third rail topic in society is gender. It's the, it's like the sacred cow. It's the thing you're not supposed to talk about. So we expected that there would be a pretty significant backlash and there has been there. There's, they threw some curveballs at us that I didn't see coming, like the cyber attack on the premiere to try to shut it down. Um, and then other things that we expected trying to deplatform me, they've been mass reporting accounts and then, and then the, the death threats start rolling in. Um, and we have, you know, we're taking care of that. We go to the police with that. That's all, that's all being handled on the legal side of things. Um, but I, I've really been, that doesn't surprise me as much. Um, I've been very pleasantly surprised by just the, the positive reaction, how kind of, uh, how it, it seems to be cutting across. It's not just in the kind of conservative podcast bubble. We've been able to break outside of that. And, um, and I've been really pleased by that. You've been able to do it without a mainstream critic reviewing the documentary. Isn't that accurate? Yeah, we have not had one review from the, the in fact, we've had one film review period of it. And this was uh, Christian Toto, who's who, who writes for the Daily Wire. So he reviewed it. But uh, we haven't had any corporate media critic review it. And so right now, on Rotten Tomatoes, I think we have over twenty five hundred audience reviews, a ninety seven percent rating and zero critic reviews. And I I think that I'm not sure that's ever happened in the history of that website. I, I'm not aware of any other example of a movie that is this highly rated by audiences and has been this widely viewed. We're also the number one streaming movie on the website right now, the most popular one on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and the critics just refuse to even watch it. They won't go anywhere near it. Okay, so, I, and this is not a defensive question. I just want clarity. I know I'm not mainstream corporate media, but what would you call my column about 
what is a woman? Is that a critique? Is that a review? What, how, what classification is that? I guess I would call that a review. I think that's, so I'm putting that outside of corporate, yep. mainstream. Yeah, I put the Daily Wire outside of that. You know, that's uh, uh, in, the, in the, the corporate press world of, of film critics, especially, maybe that's another way of looking at this, professional film critics, but this is what they do for a living is they talk about and watch movies. Um, none of them, except for the one who writes with it for our site, as far as I'm aware, has gone anywhere near the movie. You know, as a sports person, what's fascinating to me, because you guys covered the Leah Thomas situation in your documentary, this whole what is a woman transgender issue impacts the sports world tremendously. And so this cuts across all media, media spectrums and genres. So like ESPN should review this movie. The Ringer, Bill Simmons's group, they should review this documentary because this could have monumental impact on the sports world. When Martina Navratilova is commenting about it, one of the greatest female athletes of all time is commenting on it, but the mainstream sports media won't touch it, that's baffling to me. It's baffling until you realize that uh, they're all beholden to left-wing ideology and they realize that the film's going after something that is indefensible, especially in context of sports. I mean, the, the idea that males should compete against females, it's an indefensible proposition. And so I think what they'd rather do is just, is just hide and wait for it to go away. It's, a, it's like Jurassic Park, you know, uh, the T-Rex's vision is based on movement, so just kind of stand there still, don't do anything, and he'll walk past you. And that's what they're trying to do with this movie. That's what they're trying to do with the entire issue, which goes beyond the film. The backlash against this gender madness is like the giant T-Rex that they're trying, they're just kind of standing there and hoping that it moves on. Uh, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think people are going to move on from this. I think people are fed up, and uh, they want to return to some semblance of sanity in our culture. And so the critics and everybody else, they can... They can Try to remain silent as long as they can, but I, I don't think it's going to hold. I think eventually they're going to have to come up with some kind of response to this. I don't know the answer to this question, so I probably shouldn't ask it, or I don't even know. But you came with a gentleman, and I'm wondering, is that a driver or is that security? Is your life moved to a point where you need security when you're out in public? Yeah, we have security right now um, because of the threats. You know, that's, And the thing is, we know that... Most of the people that make threats, they're just keyboard warriors. But um, also, we're, you know, there, there are a lot of really deranged people out there. And so you have to take, we're going to take every threat seriously. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to go to the police. I mean, to make an explicit threat against somebody, as in, I'm going to kill you, is a crime. And we're going to go after you for that. It's just simple as that. Well, and I think we're living in a time where someone showed up at Brett Kavanaugh's house at 2 in the morning with a gun. Right. And, and... And that's what I, uh, I'm telling you, I can tell from your Twitter feed, like, man, this guy's courageous and his wife must be courageous too because they know what they're doing and they know what they're in for. And we're living in this time where leftists, when they can't win an argument, they do turn to violence. And so I, that's what fascinates me about you. I know you did, you're a smart person. You and your wife had to do all these calculations Am I correct? We did. I mean, this is something we talked about, not just me and my wife, but uh, at the Daily Wire, other people involved in the film. We, we, once we started filming it and we saw what we were getting, you know, we, we would talk about this like this is a, a bomb that we're going to be 
metaphorically, you know, setting off. And uh, we just got to be ready for it. But there, there was never any... There's never any discussion of oh maybe we shouldn't release it maybe we should back off it's just that was that's just not even an option um, so we're prepared for it but that doesn't that also doesn't make it any less sort of disturbing it certainly doesn't make it okay okay where are you from where did you go to high school where did you go to college uh, what were your parents like <laughs> uh, I'm from Maryland and uh, originally and from the kind of the Baltimore area I didn't go to college at all um, I went to community college. And then I dropped out. So that's my, that's my entire post-high school education, a, a formal education, you know. And I found that actually I can you, can, you can not go to college and just and pick up like books and read them and learn that way. So I found that to be quite uh, useful. Um, I come from a conser- conservative Catholic family, I had five brothers and sisters. Um, your parents were they educate college educated? Or? Yeah, college educated, and, and they, they raised us. I went to public school, and um, and it was even different back when I was in school. It's gotten a lot worse now, but it wasn't all that long ago. And so it was a liberal area. So my parents they were very you know, they would sit us down every night. They wanted to hear what we learned in school. They wanted to hear they, they wanted to hear if there was anything told to us by teachers that wasn't true. Oftentimes there was. They'd correct that. Um, and they encouraged us, in, even in public school as kids, to, look, if you hear something that's not true, if there's something going on that's against your values, you should stand up. If you get in trouble for doing that at school, you won't be trouble at home, at home, be in trouble at home for doing that. Um, and so that's how we were. We were just kind of raised in that, in that environment. And so you don't go to college. When does the thought cross your mind, hey, I want to be a public intellectual. I want to take on the establishment uh, through with ideas and just be a media personality? Well, I started, uh, I started just kind of blogging. I guess it was, I mean, it was 10 years ago now. And um, kind of writing about a lot, a lot of the similar things I write about now and talk about now, uh, cultural issues. And um, I found early on, I think I, I was sort of lucky because early on in that, in that process, I had a couple things that I wrote that went viral and um, it, it was also back in the kind of the wild west days of social media where you could actually write things and and post them and and have access to an audience and they weren't they weren't stifling it the way they are now so i was able to take advantage of that i think um, and so that's kind of where it where it it started grew an audience from there and started building over and so years. at one point you were here at the blaze i'm accurate right yeah I, I was actually at the blaze for uh Three years, yeah. I mean, it was just writing. I didn't do. Uh, I didn't really do a podcast. Be, because it, you didn't feel like that was a strength of yours, or it just didn't come. The idea didn't ever cross your mind, or kind of a little bit of both. It, it, it felt uh, to, to build. You, know, you build an audience through writing, and that's one audience. And then to try to bring that over to another forum is, is difficult to do, um, and so. It's, it seemed like it would, that'd be a hard task, so I kind of focused on the writing. Went to the Daily Wire, and and uh, the first I'm writing is a lot of writing, and then we started a podcast. And originally, at the Daily Wire, I was doing my podcast in my car, um, just with a webcam, and I was in the, I was in my car because I had I was working at home. They were in, they were in Los Angeles. I was in Pennsylvania at the time, and uh, and I have four kids at home, and so I couldn't do it at home. It was just too loud. So I go in my car and just kind of rant to my dashboard, 
and uh, you and Kwame Brown. Do you know who Kwame Brown yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the car could be a good. It could be a good uh, little studio. It's got good acoustics and everything for it. Um, and it kind of proved my point though when we when I tried to make this jump to this different forum. It took a long time to build it. You know, I was talking to an audience for a while that was much smaller than the audience for the writing, and it takes a while to to build that up. Were you a natural at it? Because I'm telling you, watching you in What Is a Woman, your dry sense of humor, your self-control, your ability to think on your feet, this all seems very natural and instinctive, or is that something you had to learn? I mean, if I go back and watch some of the early car brands, I, I kind of cringe a little bit. So I don't know how much of a natural I really was. I mean, you, you always have to learn it and, and hone the craft, I suppose. But um, you do have to have, a, I guess, a, in order to survive, I mean, you know this, in a business like this, you have to have some natural aptitude. I, I don't think you can walk into it. And we see, you see people that walk into it with no natural aptitude, and uh, I think they tend to, to wash out pretty quickly. So there's got to be something there, but you still have to, you have to put the work in. The other thing I've noticed just in this... Uh, in the media business is that uh, you, th you, almost, you almost think going into it that everybody in it is really ambitious and they, they're hardworking, but that's not the case at all. <laughs> not at all. At least I thought that naively. And you run into people who just don't want to put in any work in at all. And um, so it's really up to you how far you make it. I, I tell people all the time, if you just show up to work, you're going to be ahead of at least 60% of your peers. Right. Just by showing up in a timely fashion, you'll be ahead of 60, 70% of your peers. All right, so that was the appetizer. And Friday, I gave you the full meal. An hour with Matt Walsh. I finally asked him the question that we had been talking about all week. Matt, where was Jesus in the What is a Woman documentary? Listen to his answer. As a believer, how can God be left out of that conversation? Well, the first thing I would say is that is that if you're getting to the truth, then you're not, you're not leaving God out. I mean, there's, there's no way to talk about truth or to say, to speak truth, defend truth, um, while, while taking God out of it. If you're taking God out of it, then you're taking the truth out of it, right? So they kind of go hand in hand. The question is uh, just how explicit do you want to be, you know, when, when you're talking about the truth? Um, kind of how, or how deep do you want to go? I guess maybe it's another way of putting it. We decided with this film that we had a couple of objectives in mind and we you know 90 minute film going in and I, I had plenty of arguments with the producer and director wanting to make it longer and um could have been an hour longer i yeah, bet I, I i thought so too and, and, and they said but I, I don't know i'm not i'm not the filmmaker they are and they, ultimately of course they yeah. were right but they said uh, 90 minutes because the last thing you want with a film like this is for people to get bored and it's got it's got to just propel one to the next and uh and you 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 tell your story you make the point you want to make and then you get out right which I think we were able to uh, accomplish thanks to the, the team working on the film. But um, so we had this this you know structured out, and the first thing we have to do is kind of establish the problem. You know, the, the, what what this gender ideology is, how pervasive it is, uh, and then expose it, expose it for how hollow and absurd it is, um, and then get into a little bit of you know how do you how do you fight back? How do you resist this? Um, and then at the very end, we get to what's the, what's the actual answer to what is a woman, because we knew we couldn't end the movie without answering the question. And we give the simple answer, which is adult human female. Um, there's a lot more that could be said about women, obviously. They're not a woman that, I don't want to give spoilers away, but I get, I get that answer from my wife, right? And uh, she's a lot more than adult human female. 
So we could get into a whole exploration about womanhood. This is another criticism I've heard from people. It's like, why do you know? You could have said a lot more about about women. Well, true, and that's that's a whole, that's a, another film that I, that someone should definitely make, and that'd be really interesting, and I'd love to watch it. But um, we're accomplishing one thing with this film, and we want this to be the beginning of a conversation, not the end of it. And so there are many other avenues you could go down from there. The reason we didn't throw God into it. Um, and I, I don't even like to put it that way, but the reason why we didn't explicitly say something about God at the very end, my wife could have said, she could have quoted Genesis. She could have uh, said, uh, you know, an adult human female who's created by God or something like that, right? And the reason we didn't do that is because to, we didn't think, number one, to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, that it was, it was necessary. And what I didn't want was to give the left an escape hatch at the very end. I think that they would have really loved it if we had done that because and in fact i think that if at the very end we had ended on a sermon we had ended with a bible quote or if instead of going to my wife i had gone to a a, a clergyman to, for the answer and he had told me something spiritual i think if i had done that then we'd be getting all kinds of reviews from mainstream critics so that they could glom onto that point and say that oh you see this this is all just this is all just bible thumping and in order to, to be to be a critic of uh, this gender ideology you have to be you know you have to be a christian he made my point how so? You just said if we had done that, we would have gotten all these mainstream reviews and in marketing and publicity. All publicity is good publicity. And so if anybody that would have watched the first 88 minutes and then the last two minutes uh, set the critics off and whatever. But if you make it through that first 88 minutes, they've been so devastated by their own idiocy, that anything that would have gotten it more attention, anything that would have provoked the left even more, made it so they couldn't sit around <laughs> and made them have to engage with it, I think would have been better. And, and, and then the other thing I thought was I wouldn't even, the, the minister that I would have wanted to have been interviewed is the one who's defending transgender. I wanted that guy put in the same clown suit you put all the other people in. Yeah, well, taking your, your second point first, uh, I would have loved that too, but you also have to keep in mind that uh, uh, we cast a very wide net for yes. this film and not, not everybody would talk to us, which is putting it mildly. Yeah. So, uh, but that, I, I, if we could have talked to somebody like that, I 100% would have done it. Um, and as for the, the point about the mainstream critics, my point is that they would, I think that they, we would have got the reviews and they would have acknowledged it more because they wouldn't have scared them. You know, the reason why they're not acknowledging it now is because it scares them. And if they're not scared by it, I mean, they, look at, um, okay, take any, uh, you know, sorry, but really bad Christ, quote unquote Christian movie from the Christian movie industry, you know, and I'm not going to name names, but. Um, take any of those, those, those movies that are out there and there, it's a good message and it's family friendly but they're just bad movies and you go to Rotten Tomatoes and they all have they might not have tons of critic reviews but they have critic reviews and they're just panning it the critics aren't worried about those movies like they like those movies because they make the point for them about the other side that those critics want to make and so if we had done that then yeah there would have been media attention but it would have all been you know, it's th this is just religious. This is the this is Christian propaganda, so on and so forth. When in fact, we don't want to give them that escape hatch because actually, gender ideology is the religious cult-like 
belief. You have to be a believer in the gender ideology leftist religious cult to accept this. To know that women are adult human females, you don't need to be Christian, you don't need to be Jewish, you, don't, you could be an atheist and know that. It's just like, here's the way I look at it. If somebody were to say to you, two plus two equals five, would you respond, no, it equals four? Or would you say, no, God says it equals four? Uh, I'm unaware, because I read that on your Twitter feed, I didn't respond, but I, I saw that on your Twitter feed. I, I'm, I'm unaware of, and maybe it is, because I'm not a biblical scholar, but math isn't covered in the Bible. Uh, gender, God's creation of man and woman is covered in the Bible. So no, when it comes to math, I wouldn't invoke God. I, math, I believe, is man-made, but maybe it's in the Bible and I'm just unaware of it. And so, no, no I, as it relates to math, no. Well, math is, uh, well, now we're getting into a whole like, philosophy of, of mathematics, which I'm way out of right. my depth <laughs> talking about it. But I, but I, I would say uh, that math is a, is a man-made way of, or, of kind of organizing realities in the world. So, like, you know, we, we create the numbers themselves, but they represent actual realities. So two, two, plus, two things making four things is not something we made up. That's just, that just is, right? And so because it's true, it, it, yeah, it's not, maybe not, uh, I mean, there is mathematics in the Bible, but it's, it's the Bible's not a math textbook. Yeah. Um, it, it still is from God. I mean, everything that's true is from God. God created. Totally agree with you so, on that. So, you, so if you said, God, no, uh, God says two plus two equals four, you'd be right that he does say that. But why, why would you respond that way? That, that is a, that's a, that's a, a moment when if you respond that way, you're making it sound like your belief in mathematics is a religious, dogmatic faith-based belief when it's when it's it's not so you're you're kind of adding this layer to it that i think is uh doesn't help you and so one thing having thought about it last week and all this week one thing that i've had because we had uh shamika michelle and jill uh savage on the show yesterday or wednesday i had two ministers on and uh, one white one black they Bobby and Anthony, the local guys, they come on the show all the time. And uh, Anthony actually agreed with your approach. And so, you know, there is no settle, I, I, you know, it's just my opinion. But one of the things that I've had to recognize is that perhaps my agenda and who I want your documentary to reach is perhaps a little different than your agenda and who you're targeting. And so it could just be about my expectations and the people that I'm most concerned about. And the reason why I wanted the biblical explanation in there, and again, I would have liked to have seen a minister that was getting clowned for his idiocy. And then I'd like to hear from a minister who, you know, was representing the truth. But it's my concern is like black people don't understand that there's this spiritual warfare going on in politics and that uh, a lot of this stuff that we're adopting to support the Democratic Party totally contradicts our biblical values that we were raised with. And, and we seem comfortable allying with people that believe total nonsense and idiocy 
that men can get pregnant and all, all the stuff that I know we don't believe, but because of politics, we're adopting what I believe are like satanic beliefs and an and abandonment of truth. And so, again, I bring all that baggage into it. In turn, I'm sitting there, how can What Is A Woman be the perfect documentary to help black people snap out of this uh, trance the Democratic Party and the left have them in? Um, I think, well, what you said that uh, the black people don't understand the spiritual warfare, I'd say the same of, of white people. Uh, to me, that seems to be uh, just a cultural reality in the church, too. And which actually brings me to well, there's a couple points. Well, I'll start with that. Uh, so the, the church. Uh, another way that I would respond to the to the critique that it doesn't that there's, that God isn't in the, in the movie explicitly is that. Um, that I agree with you that ministers should be talking about this issue. So, like, why aren't they? I mean, I would love it if some religious leader out there, Christian leader, church leader in any church, were to make a film like this, addressing this issue in their own way, but 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 focusing on the spiritual part of it, um, or maybe not make a film, just talk about it. And they're not, you know. I mean, I go to church every week, and, uh, and I have been my entire life. And I don't know if I've ever heard in church this, this issue of gender being addressed head on. I'm not sure if I've ever heard it. At the church you attend? At any church. I mean, I'm talking about going back. Now, of course, 20 years ago, you could, you could always make the excuse that it, wasn't a, it didn't yeah. appear to be a big issue back then. But it's been a big issue. It's been obviously, to me, a big issue for six, seven, eight years and through that time, going to many, many different churches, um, I've ne- I don't think I've ever heard it directly, explicitly addressed. From Why the is that? Because they're, they're just, a f- they're cowards. They're afraid. You know, um, there's so and much. so you didn't want to attack those people? You didn't want to. I do, but that's a, se- that's, a, that's, a, that's a separate piece of work that needs to be done, right? Um, I don't think, y- you kind of have to choose one or the other. I mean, you could go after the churches and uh, that's, that's something that I think needs to be done. Go after them in the, case, in the sense of like calling them to account. Um, I think that we should still do that. But that's why I say it's not, a, it's not an either or proposition. I mean, this film exists. It hopefully accomplishes what it set out to accomplish. And it's there. And it's a, it's a piece of work that's in the culture now. And we can, we can build from there. All right. Hope you had a great week. We certainly did. And hope to see you next week. Church.